The country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McCray from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today we're going to discuss Indonesia's national health insurance scheme, JKN. Launched in 2014 and aiming to provide universal health care coverage, the scheme has gradually increased its membership to 220 million people, or 84% of the Indonesian population in 2019. Nevertheless, questions remain about the equality of access to healthcare and the quality of treatment that JKN members receive in different parts of the country, as well as about the financial sustainability of the scheme, with the healthcare funds deficit reaching 28 trillion rupiah, or around 2.5 billion Australian dollars last year. To discuss these issues, as well as the impact of COVID-19 on Indonesia's national health insurance scheme, I'm joined today by Professor Laksono Trisnantoru, head of the Department of Health Policy and Management in the Faculty of Medicine, Public Health and Nursing at Universitas Gajamada. Professor Laksono headed a team from the Center of Health Policy and Management that produced a recently published evaluation of the national health insurance scheme in 13 of Indonesia's 34 provinces. He joins us for the second time on Talking Indonesia today, having appeared on an earlier episode discussing the National Health Insurance Scheme in 2016, which I'd commend to you as thoroughly worth a second listen. Today's episode is the latest in the Policy and Focus series of Talking Indonesia episodes, which appear periodically in alternate weeks to regular Talking Indonesia episodes, and are supported by the Knowledge Sector Initiative, or KSI a partnership between the Australian and Indonesian governments that aims to improve the use of evidence in development policymaking. Just a couple of acronyms that are important to follow today's episode. JKN is the National Health Insurance Scheme. BPJS, or BPJS Kasahatan, is the agency that manages the scheme. Pat Laksono, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia today. Thank you very much, Dave. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast again after several years. Now, when we last spoke in 2016, the National Health Insurance Scheme in Indonesia, JKN, had around 160 million members. By 2019, that figure had reached 220 million or around 84% of the population. What's driven that increase? And can we say Indonesia is now close to universal health coverage through JKN? Yes, I agree with you that it is a very sharp increase, but we have to be very careful about this because actually we have at least three big groups, the poor, funded by central government and the local government. This is called PPI, it's around 130 million people. And then we have also the formal workers, the public servants, military and corporations, laborers. And then we have the third groups, the paying members, the voluntary groups, is around 30 million. And if you look at these uh, members, then we have to be very careful that the problematic is the voluntary groups. They have to pay the premium, but almost 50% of the 30 millions do not pay well, like not comply with the regulations, not regular paying. So the number of 2020 million should be very carefully defined, yes. In this case, we are also very, very concerned with uh, memberships only 
thinking because actually when we look at the supply side, not all of the 220 million, they can have the same access to medical care. For example, if some members in the East Nusa Tenggara, they don't have easy access to, say, a cardiologist. So we have to bear in mind that 220 million is the number of the members, but they don't have the same access to medical services. That's a very good point. I mean, you've raised one issue with the figure of 220 million that some of the people whose premiums are not being paid by the government are themselves not keeping up with the contributions they're meant to make. I guess on top of those people, there's also around 16% of Indonesians who seem not to be members at all. Do you have a sense of who that 16% might be uh, and whether it should be a priority to try to bring them into the scheme? Uh, I'm not so clear about that, and we don't have enough uh, research on who are not the members of the BJS at the current. It may be like the rich people or the people that don't like to be BPJS members because they understand about the crowded referral system, so they prefer to not join uh, the memberships of BPJS. Or maybe there are people in the remotes. Yeah. The point is that uh, when we look at the regulation, BPJS membership is compulsory. So the 16% people there are against the law, but Nothing government can do to punish them or to forcefully put in the membership. That is the point. We don't know yet about who are there. So from the people who are meant to be paying their own premiums because neither the government or their employer plays it, a um, significant proportion are in fact not paying regularly. Um, are they still able to access healthcare using JKN despite not paying their premiums regularly? Yeah, before they can use the, the service, they have to pay the fine. But the fine is not so high. This member is not a pure social insurance uh, scheme. This is uh, like more a commercial insurance scheme. And this group makes uh, the deficits, a very, very huge deficit. That is a problem. Now, even taking into account some of the problems that we've seen with JKN over its more than five years now that it's been operating, you've mentioned the unequal access to healthcare, the fact that, as you said, some members are not paying contributions, some are not members at all. Do we nevertheless see evidence of the impact of the operation of JKN? Can we say that, you know, at least pre-COVID-19, Indonesians are healthier as a whole or are living longer? Do we see an impact in the health statistics in Indonesia? It is a difficult question, but the point that JKN is very, very good for providing Access, free access for the poor to have medical care is very, very good. Uh, but again, back to the issue of the uneven distributions of supply side. Now, when we look at the impact of GKN to some of the public health or health indicators, this is very, very a mixed answer. If we look at uh, whether they are healthier or not, actually, we have some data like from Social Economic Survey to some us and also from IHME, and the finding is a mix between, like, for example, uh, in the context of TB as a community is still persistent, the pneumonia is still persistent, the diarrhea is declining, and malaria is also declining. So it's different kind of impact of TKNs to public health indicators. So it's not a position where you could say there has been an overall improvement. Uh, some diseases are stagnant, others are improving. 
Yes, yes. But uh, if you look at the non-communicable disease, it's increasing. Maybe because they are going to the hospital, then the recording system is much better. That's the point. But NCDs are increasing. Also, uh, hunting is also decreased, but it's not a significant uh, decrease. Now, we've seen from Universitas Gajamada uh, at the Centre for Health Policy and Management this evaluation of the National Health Insurance Scheme across 13 provinces. You mentioned access to healthcare is uneven. What trend do we see across the 13 provinces you looked at? Has the availability of, of things like doctors and hospital beds increased everywhere? Or is it really quite a different trend depending on what part of the country? Yes, we have a evaluation of uh, 13 provinces. And there's a nice thing about this kind of geographical uh, evaluation we got using realist evaluations. Because at the moment, we have evaluations used by national policymakers, but it is like the whole Indonesia aggregate. But we try to make the evaluation as more like provinces, realist uh, evaluations. So when we look at the growth of the medical service, we can see that provinces in Java enjoy much increase of the hospital services and also the number of specialists. Why? Because actually, when we look at the last six or seven years, the government, we don't have enough budget for investment. So the increase of the public hospital is not so fast. It's very, very limited. But if we look at the increase of the private hospital, especially the for-profit hospitals, it increased very, very sharp, and especially in Java. So that means BBGS stimulates the growth of medical industry, but in Java, in the big cities of Indonesia, not in the remote areas, because there's no investor from the private sector to invest in, say, the remote areas of Papua or NTT. So this is the point that makes the inequity of medical services becoming worsened. And this is being driven by JKN, this, this worsening of the inequality, or... Is it something that would happen regardless of whether JKM was operating or not? Yes. You know that BPGS offers very large medical benefits. And then the payment is what we call like a CPG claim system. And actually, this kind of payment system is a fee for service for hospital. So if the hospital can show that you can service many people and the demand for BPGS service is high, then the BPGS will have like a contract agreement with the hospital. Even in Java, we are still lacking medical specialists, for example, for endocrinologists, for diabetes, for cardiologists. So because the large medical benefit of BPGS, it opens the possibility or the opportunity for private investment. And this is back to the issue of the private financing is done by market forces, that means the big cities and a good access region like Java, that will be the, the first choice of investment. Okay, this is the point. BPGS stimulates the growth of medical industry, but not in the remote areas. It makes perfect sense because there is an unlimited amount of investment capital available. People tend to invest where the most lucrative opportunities are. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess my question then is, are there changes that could be made 
to the design of BPJS or other policies that are needed on top of BPJS so that you have a more even distribution of health facilities? This is the thing that's becoming dilemmatic at the moment because when we look at our government budget for investing or paying for the capital expenditure or in investing in medical infrastructure, it will cost a huge amount of budget and also who are the medical specialists who, who serve in the remote areas. That is becoming problematic. And this is not the task of BPJS. Although BPJS should have like paying compensation, that means like sending medical specialists to the remote areas. But this kind of compensation policy never done in the last six, seven years of BPJS implementations. So this is like dead end situations because the government, even the local government, don't have enough budget for balancing the supply sides. And the BPJS payment system for the hospital is like Maybe just like a high mango tree, people who have devices for reaching the high mango fruit can have more than people who do not have the device. Java in the big cities, they have the devices for having the high mango fruit. It's a very clear analogy. So there's this clear regional disparity in the benefits that members of the National Health Insurance Scheme can access. When we last spoke in 2016, you also highlighted a disparity between different types of members of the scheme. And in particular, uh, then in your analysis, uh, you were saying the government was actually paying in more money for the premiums of the poor in Indonesia who had their premiums paid by the government than what those members were getting back in health services because of some of the issues you've mentioned around the availability of health facilities or the fact that to access those health facilities, there were also out-of-pocket expenses that subsidised members couldn't afford. Has that situation improved over the, the four years since we spoke, or do we still see different categories of members getting very different benefits from the health insurance scheme? It is continuing still because the supply availability is not even, and then the poor it is not only a matter of access. And you know that the transportation cost is so high in Indonesia because we are archipelago. So if we have to cross the straits or to cross the river, it will be coming very, very high cost of the poor to reach the hospital. And BPTS or the local government, they don't pay this kind of thing except for the maternal care. So this is high cost. And then we can see elsewhere that Free medical care at the hospital is not enough for the poor because actually when they have like a long illness at the hospital, the poor cannot afford to pay the foregone income for family who has to be in the hospital or to have the accommodation costs for the family, the caregivers at the hospital, and that tend to be out from the medical services. But compared to the more uh, affluent society in the PPJS members, they can afford to stay at the hospital until the end of life. And this is the things that we have to face, that insurance is more used by the rich. And if we open the door of the insurance like PPJS for the rich, then the rich will take more than the poor. And the point in the PPJS, the budget 
the central government budget that should be devoted to the poor, no, is taken. Some parts of the poor budget is taken or is, is used to close the deficit that done by the more affluent members. We have predicted 10 years ago about this kind of problems. It hurts the social justice uh, principles or values. Are you able to express as a ratio for every dollar or for every rupee that the government pays in for a poor person having their premium paid for, how many rupee then that poor person accesses in services? Um, would the ratio be greater than one or what would it be at the moment? The claim ratio for the poor is less than 100%. It's somewhere between 70-80%. It depends on the years. Uh, and then when we increase the budget for the poor, that means reducing the claim ratio for the central government budget for the poor. Three years ago, it's about 80-90%, to 90%, but now it's becoming lower because the government raised the budget for the poor. But not evenly distributing the services. So that means the subsidy that should go to the poor now is used by more affluent groups. And the claim ratio for these groups, for the paying member, it can be from 120, 130%. That's very interesting. Um, given those sorts of problems, but also some of the positive impacts we've seen on some of the diseases that you mentioned in Indonesia. How satisfied has this left Indonesians with JKN overall? And do you see clear differences in the 13 provinces where you've evaluated the scheme in the levels of popular satisfaction with health insurance? Unfortunately, we don't measure the satisfaction in the 13 provinces, but we have the BPGS surveys at the national level. That is the only empiric result of the satisfaction survey and increasing from 79.7% in 2018 become 80.1% for the members' satisfaction. And for the medical providers or health providers, increase from 75.8% to 79.1% in one year. But this index is so fluctuative and not divided into geographical survey. So we can see that if we are in Papua, then will be very, very difficult to reach uh, hospital service because it takes some hours to go there or maybe we have to fly, for example, in Maluku for accessing like hemodialysis for kidney failure. Uh, people in the remote islands, they have to fly to Ambon, the capital of Maluku maybe one or two hours flying, and it takes about 3 million rupiah for the flight. But in Java, in my city, uh, we can go by public transportations, by Pechak maybe. It's very, very cheap to get uh, the hemodialysis. And this is the thing that we don't have data on satisfaction. So, I mean, given the limitations of the data on satisfaction, nevertheless, how would you interpret it? Can we take this to say that, you know, 80% satisfaction does sound reasonably high? Can we interpret this to mean that, you know, both healthcare providers who are receiving income from this scheme and, and members of the community who are receiving services are, are reasonably happy with how it's operating? For the medical providers, some happy, some not. 
because the problem of the hospital managers, the problem is the claim payment because uh, you know that BPJS suffered from chronic cash flow problems because shortage of funds and deficits. And every year they have problems of the claim payment from BPJS. And for the medical specialists, some are very happy, some not. Like the ophthalmologists, they are very happy for this, or OPGY, because they can enjoy sharp increase if we look at before and after BPGS scheme is implemented. So it's a mixed satisfaction. You alluded there to the deficit that BPGS has accumulated, uh, and I believe it was up to 28 trillion rupiah as of last year. Since then, the government has increased premiums somewhat. Is that likely to address that deficit? Not yet, because actually when we look at the deficit, and it is mostly caused by the low premium of the paying members. And we know that the paying members, it consists of three classes, first class, second class, and third class. And also deficit from the local government poor members, and then for the retired people. But the biggest deficits come from the paying members. And when the government try to increase the paying members' premium, it sparks political difficulties or political noise, uh, even to the parliament members. So at the moment, the government tries not to make this becoming a political noise and trying to fund some of the third class members from government budget. So that means the government is not only paying the poor, but also the middle. And one of the logical explanation of this policy is because we have like exclusion error. The poor is excluded from the PPI list. So they became like the poor, but not having insurance uh, protection. So this is the things that the government then make a discretional policy to pay for the middle class. But uh, still, the paying members run the deficit. And we don't know when the premium can be increased because the increase of premium, it will spark again political uproars from the parliament members. It's not easy. Sure, and I imagine all the more so with the economic downturn that we've seen across the world because of COVID-19. But on that front, how big a problem is this deficit, which seems to grow year by year for BPJS? Is it big enough that there's a risk that the scheme could collapse or it's something that can be managed? Yes. In our experience for the last maybe four years, the deficit, when the deficit is increasing, the central government spills out this problem. But now it's becoming uncertainties because when we look at the government fiscal capacity to bail out in COVID pandemic situation, then it will be raised the question whether we can afford to, to do this. And the point is that when we bail out the BPJS deficit, that means the government will subsidize the middle and maybe the rates. But the government doesn't have enough budget to make the infrastructure becoming more equitable. For paying the deficit, the government should make a very, very big effort to find the budget. And neglecting what we call like infrastructure development for balancing the medical service and medical workers across Indonesia. And this is the huge investment that we have to make. Okay, so we face like 
vicious cycle because uh, actually the medical benefit is large and should be paid by BPGS. And it is also voiced by very strong groups of lobbyists in the parliament that try to make BPGS should have more budget for this kind of patients. And also some of the patients, also high-cost patients like cancer and also diabetes. We are afraid of these people that tend to depend on government budget, although they have some resources to pay for health insurance. As far as I understand, you're saying it becomes a trade-off, you know, instead of developing health facilities in regions where they're not available, in part as a result of lobbying, the government is instead spending its funds to pay for healthcare for the better off segments of society. Yes. I mean, you focus in the evaluation report on also the role of subnational governments. Could they be asked to step up and build these sorts of health facilities that you're saying are not available in their areas? Or, or what role do you envisage them playing in this national health insurance scheme? Well, for balancing the infrastructure, this is again the task of the government, either central or the local government. But some of the local government, they don't have enough fiscal or economic capacity to improve the medical service infrastructure. So they have to rely on central government budget. Uh, secondly, the local government, they have to understand about the, the deficits and the loss of the PPGS in their own provinces or districts. At the moment, all of the deficits is paid by the central government. Although the deficit is happening, for example, in my province in Yogyakarta. So BPJS is making huge deficit in my province. But the local government, the provincial government in my province, we don't have to pay even one single rupiah. Every deficit is paid by central government because it is uh, written in the law. So that means the local government, they don't have any incentive for controlling the cost of BPGS. And maybe worse, that they try to make BPGS becoming one of the big financial resources for the local government income because it is paid to the local government hospital or local government health facilities. It is like a moral hazard. So it is very, very difficult situation if we can uh, make the local government paying for a part of the deficit. That means the local government have to control the deficit and also they have to control the disease and also improving or promoting healthy lifestyle and many things. But this is not happened. And even PPGS, they don't provide the data for the cross-province loss or benefit because in some of the remote province the BPGS budget is not used a hundred percent i don't want to say like a subsidy from the local or the remote province to my province but maybe our province use some budget that should be used by people in the remote area that is the point what is the effect of the involvement of local governments overall, because as you say, they may construct and operate health facilities. Um, I think in the past, they've also paid the premiums of some of the near poor who are perhaps not covered by the central government. Does that have an effect of evening out the benefits of JKN across the country, or does it actually increase inequality because the areas where the population is more poor on average, the, the local governments are also likely to have less funds? Yeah. 
If you look at the local government also pay for the poor that is not listed in the national government participants. But the price of premium is the same between my province and, say, Papua or NTT. So local government in Java, they enjoy very much paying low premium for the poor by local government budget because the same price. But in the remote area, they don't like it because they understand that if they pay more and then what's happening, there's no compensation from the BGS. So that means some of the local government leaders, they understand about this and they don't want to pay and they keep the money and then try to uh, use the money for fighting medical specialists or making some hospital construction by local government budget. But this is, again, still debatable <laughs> whether this is against the law or not, but logically they calculate that uh, it's better for local government to not pay the PGS but use the money for maybe developing their infrastructure. Moving on to the impacts of COVID-19, which, you know, obviously the world is occupied with this pandemic at the moment. Um, what impact has that had on Indonesia's national health insurance scheme? Has it impacted heavily on its operations? Yes, at the moment, uh, we don't have enough data on this, but actually when we look at the economic growth, uh, we are experiencing downturn of economy. and. If you look at, again, back to the issue of the BPGS budget, BPGS is heavily influenced to the central government budget. And when the economy becoming slow, that means that the tax collection will be less than maybe last year. So what's happening after this? We are still looking at the next year budget, but also COVID pandemic also reduced the number of patients. So... BPGS can have like a decrease of claim payment because, yeah, in, in many hospitals, the number of patients declining, although some already rebound. So back to the issue of the financial capacity of our self-government budget, that is still under question. So many political issues at the moment for budget allocations. Now we prepare for the next year budget and I think we can have like a Another podcast maybe at the end of the December. Maybe. <laughs> okay, to see whether the government was able to allocate the funds that were required. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You you mentioned the number of patients declining. Is that because people are afraid or unable to access medical treatment because of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Many reasons for this. Like people are afraid of getting to the hospitals. Also, transportations. Public transportation is becoming limited. Uh, hospital also trying to have more telemedicine or teleconsultations, not too many face-to-face encounters. So, so many, many reasons for this. And are COVID patients themselves funded through JKN or does the government pay for them separately? Separately. So the COVID patient is funded by government budget, not by the current BPGS budget. But BPGS is playing the role as uh, verificators of the claims. Still should be by claim process, but paid by government budget, not BPJS budget. Still on COVID-19, did the fact that BPJS had been operating for six to seven years prior to the pandemic place the health system in a better position than what it would have otherwise been to cope with COVID-19? My answer is definitely no, because actually when we look at BPJS or GKN role, it's more for 
paying the operational cost of the services. But uh, we don't have enough budget for constructing new facilities or renovate the current facilities. And when we look at COVID-19 medical care processes, it is very heavily influenced by construction of the buildings. Like we have to have like uh, negative chambers for preventing hospital infection. We have to have good facilities for protection. So many things. So this kind of needs is not well funded because actually, like we have discussed, in the last seven years, we are struggling with the deficits of DPGS and we are still neglecting uh, the equity because we are lacking budget. So we are not prepared well for COVID-19 and actually JKN not preparing for this. Still on COVID-19, we've seen a lot of question marks raised over the official data that the Indonesian government has been releasing on cases uh, and deaths. And you've mentioned that BPJS is playing this role in, in verifying the claims, even if they're funded separately by the government. Seeing that, we've seen the epidemiologist Elizabeth Pisani suggesting that BPJS data could be used directly to track the incidence of COVID-19 in Indonesia. Do you think that would be a, a workable idea? And is that something that needs to be done? Yes, I think it's a good idea because actually we have like data for, say, the comorbidity of COVID, for example, diabetes mellitus or strokes and many things. But the point is that the data is not available for everybody or every district. So now BPJS is just release a new dashboard for this. And we, we do hope that it can make at least like precautions that regions which have many diabetics people should be very careful in terms of COVID-19. I think the idea is great, but it needs good data exchange or the ecology or the ecosystem of the data should be well prepared and BPJS should play a pivot role for data disseminations for policymakers at the central and local government and also for the hospital managers across Indonesia. And finally... Turning back to the general picture for JKN and BPJS, what do you see as the outlook of Indonesia's national health insurance scheme and what are the most urgent steps the government needs to take to make it sustainable? Yes, I think uh, we have to be careful on this JKN policy. So if you look back at the history, actually JKN is a populist policy, but lack of equity principle. It was driven by political motives in the making of the laws, the Undang-Undang SCSN in 2004 and Undang-Undang BPJS in 2011. And it was not much supported by technical and logical considerations. So uh, we do hope to the future that the JKN policy should be reviewed and also the laws also maybe reviewed or revisited using more social economy and regional disparity analysis based on the current data. So after seven years, we have a good evidence for evaluating the policy. And then also the PPGS as the main player should be reconstructed for a better governance, including this respect to the issue of the bitter relationship between PPGS and MOH. Uh, so how to make these two big units becoming more working together to improve the BGS or to improve GKN. 
And then I still very, very strong argue for having fences or compartment of its BPGS member group. So since maybe 10 years ago, and we have discussed in 2016, that uh, we should have fences like in Thailand. They have three pools in Thailand. In Indonesia, we have only one pool. And the evidence say that the budget for the pool is devoted to pay the deficit used by the better of members. It's not good. It hurts the social justice uh, values. Or maybe BPJS should focus on the real social insurance principle. So that means the middle and the rich class, they have to choose whether to join the social insurance or buying the private commercial insurance. So we have to have uh, the reality that it is impossible to cover 100% under one PPGS or one pool scheme that already proved that it makes the subsidy for the poor becoming diverted to uh, middle class or better off members. And then also the heavily relying to central government budget should be reduced by introducing more responsibility for local government to bear the risk of making deficit. So this is, uh, again, some of the maybe uh, recommendations to the future. Maybe still there are many. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very full menu of policy recommendations. And Pat uh, yeah. Luxono, it's been great to have you back on the podcast and great to have you share your insights. Um, there's a lot more I could ask you, but I'm afraid we're well and truly out of time. So thanks so much for joining us again on Talking Indonesia today. Thank you very much, sir. That was Professor Laksono Trisnantoro, Head of the Department of Health Policy and Management in the Faculty of Medicine, Public Health and Nursing at Universitas Gajamada. Keep an eye out for the Policy in Focus tagline for future installments in the Policy in Focus series of Talkie Indonesia. Policy in Focus episodes are edited by Eric Van Bemmel and Kelvin Param and appear periodically in alternate weeks to regular Talkie Indonesia episodes. Don't forget, you can find the entire archive of Talking Indonesia episodes for free at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking Indonesia will return on 10 September. Until then, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now.